Hey, I'm excited about my guest today. I'm speaking with the the uber-famous Ken McCarthy. How's it going, Ken? Good, thank you. Hey, I really appreciate you doing this today. I know uh, you're kind of uh, busy, so I appreciate you uh, working uh, the show into your schedule. My pleasure. I ha- you, you and I have a mutual love of music. I, w- I want to talk about that a little bit more in a second, but here's how I'd like to introduce you, which if which I think is going to be appropriate. I think you're I think you're going to enjoy this intro. I've been working on this for for a few weeks now. Um, when rock and roll hit back in the '60s, and everybody went crazy for it. The people who were students of music or who were historians of music or just really music aficionados recognized these dudes aren't doing anything new. This is just, they've just taken what the, the old uh, blues musicians from the, the South, uh, the, the Delta blues musicians and the Chicago blues music, musicians and you know, maybe it's more up-tempo, but it's the same basic thing. They put a little bit of a twist on it. Um, and then several years ago when Stevie Ray Vaughan was really hot, because I, I play guitar and I follow all these guys, everybody was copping Stevie Ray Vaughan's style, stealing his licks, trying to do his thing, without really understanding the history of what he was doing. They they had no knowledge whatsoever of of the great blues musicians in history. And I'm finding the same thing today in Internet marketing. Um, so if we really want to go back, for those of us who are students of direct marketing, if we really want to go back to the innovators, um, then everybody knows that that you are one of the main innovators. Everybody who's trying to rip off and model the guru du jour has no idea that everybody who's anybody in internet marketing who's a, you know, a guru or consultant basically was either launched by you or just totally ripped you off and swiped you to start their deal. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you, you said it. <laughs> it. It gets a little frustrating to me because, um, I, you know, I like to study the history of this stuff, and uh, I, you know, I like to go back to the source. That's why I'm why I'm on the phone with you today. Um, you have broken more barriers, created more breakthroughs in internet marketing, and provided more clarity have provided more valuable information um, than, than anybody in the Internet marketing community. So it's an honor to be speaking with you. Well, thanks. Thanks. And uh, if, if there's a frustration, it's that people that are trying to learn this uh, very often, unfortunately more often than not, get led astray and have their time and money wasted by um, people who don't necessarily know what they're talking about, which is, which is, you know, not much I can do about that. I mean, people have to make a, make their own judgments and do their own homework. But 
Yes, it's one one of the frustrating things is just to see people who who could very well do well waste months, years, and maybe even get knocked out of the game because of uh, you know legions of of half baked advice. <laughs> but you know, I'm glad you're I'm glad you're doing this call because maybe some people will uh, get pointed in the right direction. I believe so. Um, I've got. Well, actually, I've got all your products, but the one that's nearest and dearest to my heart is the System Club Letters book. I have—I don't know how many times I've read through that. I recently reread it about 60 days ago, and it's getting to the point where I'm just going to have to order another copy because there are so many highlighted sections in different colors. There's notes in the margins. There's circled stuff it's like almost out of control there's so much stuff in there that has inspired more blog posts more newsletters more emails and even entire business ideas um, than other courses that I've spent you know like a uh, hundred times the money on that's got to be the best deal uh, in in internet marketing today for anybody who wants to learn how to do it right. Yeah, I think it, I think we're selling it for 20 bucks, so it's a pretty good deal and it's it's highlights uh 57 highlights of stuff that I've shared with my system club members over the years, so it's sort of the distillation of some of the very best things that we've done uh over the years in 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 one book. One I'm pretty sure it's 20 bucks, one 20 if if not 29, but it's it's no more than that. I've gotten great. I've gotten great response to it. I'm, I'm really happy, and I have to thank uh, my assistant Bettina uh, Mueller because uh, she compiled it. Uh, she put together all. The, she went through all the stuff that I'd done and said, "You should put this in a book." And I said, "Okay, you put it in a book, and I'll look at it." And we went back and forth a little bit, uh, taking some things out, putting some different things in, figuring out how to order it. You know what sequences to put the, the things in, what chapters to do, what sections to do, but uh, I have to really thank her for doing that, for making that happen, because, you know, putting, making books is a lot of work. Oh, yeah. Kudos to Bettina. The, 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 the continuity and the flow and everything was really good. You know, it's not that easy to, to take uh, content and compile it in a, in a way, you know, that that flows like that. You can't just throw it together. So kudos to her. Re- relay my my uh, my gratitude to her for that book also. I will. I will. She's been my secret weapon for many years. Hey, I know you don't have a lot of time today, but would you mind I'm, – I'm always interested in finding out about how people found direct marketing because it seems like a lot of people are like me. They stumbled into it and didn't, you know, it's not like they graduated from high school or college and decided, well, I'm going to go into direct marketing. So how did you find your way into this crazy business that we do? Yeah, that seems, that seems to be the way that everybody gets into it. It's not one of those things they talk about in school, and you certainly don't see it on television, and no direct marketer has ever been uh, glamorized by Hollywood. It's uh, It's one of these strange corners of the world that you, you you have to stumble on. You have to know somebody that's in it or run across it. Um, long story short, my first business ventures had to do with the music industry, specifically uh, promoting concerts. And that's not really direct marketing per se. However, 
it is a very um, rigorous uh, form of marketing. And, and like direct marketing, it's a kind of marketing where you can't pretend. I mean, there's a lot of make-believe and, and delusional thinking in a lot of marketing and a lot of business. Uh, but when you, when, you know, when the clock strikes eight and the band begins, uh, either, either the auditorium is full or it's not. And you can't, <laughs> you can't pretend that it's a marketing triumph if there's empty seats. So that discipline is a very good one, and it's where I started. You know, which is that you've got to make it work at all costs, uh, no excuses, and and there's a certain degree of direct. You know, it's it's certainly not. There's no store. You know, there's there's not like there's a, a a concert ticket store that people shop in, and um, you know, you you basically use promotion, the media, and posters uh, to get people to drive people to uh, buy the tickets, and so it's sort of a, it's primitive direct marketing. And then when I was at college, I had a job teaching speed reading and study skills to college students. And I was like an itinerant teacher every month. I'd be at a different campus. And after about a year of doing it, I made so many improvements to the course. And the owners were, frankly, dicks. Um, But I decided I was going to do it myself. And uh, I started a business in New York City. And basically with flyers, uh, big headline promises, uh, pull-offs, uh, phone number, pre-internet, of course, people would call, and I'd do inbound telemarketing and talk to them about, you know, what they were trying to accomplish and answer their questions. Then I would send them uh, literature, you know, sales, basically a sales letter, uh, which would get me their physical mailing address pre-email, and I'd send them the uh, sales letter. I didn't even know it was a sales letter. I was just trying to make it as interesting and as accurate and as useful and as compelling as possible and as comprehensive as possible. And then, of course, I, that built me a database. And every time I did it, I did classes monthly. I'd start a new class every month. And uh, so I had a database. And so every month, I would print out the labels on my little image writer printer and my Mac 128K. Um, and I'd send the mailing out every month. And again, it was a, it was a count-the-heads kind of business. The class would start, and I could look out and see how successful I was or wasn't. Uh, and I didn't know I was doing direct marketing. That was a lot closer to classic direct marketing, lead generation, uh, sales letter, follow-up, database marketing. Um, and then I found myself in San Francisco, where by coincidence I happen to be right now. I live in New York, but I'm, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm out here visiting. And uh, I was on – in fact, I was just telling this story to somebody yesterday. I was on this district in San Francisco called the Richmond District, and there is a street called Clement, and it's got a lot of Asian restaurants, like any – variety of Asian food you could imagine, Cambodian, Thai, of course, Vietnamese, Burmese, which is where I had lunch yesterday. Anyway, there was a bookstore called Albatross 2, which no longer exists, and they had a cutout then of used, battered books that were cheaper, and there was a book uh, called Mail Order Know-How, and uh, shame on me for forgetting the author's name. He was a great guy. I can almost visualize it. But anyway, it's a, it's a book that's out of print. If you can get a copy of it, grab it. Uh, and this guy was a second or third generation mail order guy. His dad certainly was a mail order guy. And I think maybe even his grandfather was a mail order guy. And he worked in the business. It was a, a sporting goods catalog. And then he did other projects too. And he was also a writer and a compiler of direct marketing lore. And I was very broke at the time, uh, so broke that the $10 price on the book really 
gave me serious pause. I, I think I stood over that book for about a half hour, flipping through it, <laughs> wondering if it justified spending the ten bucks. And finally, I just said, "I mean, it's just so fascinating, and it's it's resonates so much with things that I've done in the past. Um, I'm going to read it." So I brought it home. It was a fantastic book, um, and it became the springboard for basically a year's worth of reading. Uh, the book was divided into lots of small one, two, three-page sections, each highlighting a different company or a different personality, like uh, Dick Benson or um, Eugene Schwartz, people like that, people of that ilk. And um, so I would use the book as a springboard. So if they mentioned Dick Benson, well, I went out and got Dick Benson's The Secret of uh, Secrets, Direct Mail Secrets, I think is the name of the book. And I just spent an entire year reading every book that was then available, and there were already quite a few available at that time on direct marketing. I mean, that's all—that's not all I did, but I—I I mean, it was a year, and it was stacks and stacks and stacks of books. I was just fascinated, and then I started looking for okay, how do I apply this knowledge? Um, and it's a long, kind of a longer story, but I started a company that uh, produced and promoted um, seminars and workshops on marketing for people in the real estate finance uh, industry. I detected a gap there, and I had a few ins in that industry, uh, and I just started putting on conferences, and I would hire speakers or, or you know, enroll speakers, and we'd run lead generation ads, and we'd follow up with the with the people that um, inquired, and we would, you know, I'd write these very elaborate sales letters, you know, seemingly elaborate, you know, uh, eight-page sales letters. Uh, this is again pre-internet, mm-hmm. and by golly, we filled those seats and we made money, and uh, it was a, it was a great thing. And then um, uh, I in my neighborhood there was a guy who was kind of a cutting edge person in what was then called multimedia, which was pre CD-ROM. Um, you know, now everybody takes CD-ROM. I don't even know if people use CD-ROMs anymore, but CD-ROM used to be a cool, you know, interactive. You'd slip them into your computer and interact with them, and it was, you know, groovy, um, pre-internet. And I was fascinated by it, and uh, I volunteered to write some ad copy for his traveling conference. And it was the best copy he ever had, and he, he wasn't even able to change it for four years, not change a word. It pulled so wow. well. And, and, and through that, I, I because he was such a central figure, I got connected to everybody in that world, that multimedia world. And then I stumbled on the internet in 93, roughly around the time the web, uh, the web already existed, but roughly around the time that the uh, Netscape browser, uh, excuse me, the Mosaic browser was developed. Uh, I think it was developed, I think it was launched in January, uh, and I first saw it in in uh, July, you know, so it was like seven months later. And I was just amazed because I had been doing, you know, pretty, you know, pretty significant mailings. You know, I, I had twenty thousand dollar postage bills some some months, and you know, I was kind of the, the concept that I could hit a button and mail to that many people, and it would basically cost me nothing. Uh, was really intriguing. I thought, gee, if if even just ten percent of my prospect base were to become internet users, uh, this would save me, you know, significant money. Uh, I really didn't didn't have any concept of how big it would be, uh, I, because I was sort of a conference, seminar, workshop, gathering type of event kind of guy. I organized a conference uh, that brought multimedia producers together with uh, specifically Mark Andreessen, who's the uh, co-founder of Netscape, 
and is now one of the most significant uh, venture capitalists in all of Silicon Valley. But back then he was just 23, and him and a bunch of other internet guys, and it was sort of a, the first meeting ever of uh, that those two industries. They just didn't really connect very at all. Uh, and then my my purpose in putting them together was to bring them together, but also to teach them direct marketing because neither side knew anything about direct marketing. In fact, in those days, the model for uh, Internet was, I don't even know what the hell their model was. <laughs> they were just excited <laughs> to be able to put up web pages, and I was like, great, how are you going to make money? And uh, one of my students, uh, Rick Boyce, uh, became the guy who was the uh, spear point for selling banner ads um, he was the first guy to do it in any meaningful way that, that really made the cash register ring. And he learned the whole idea of, of clickable ads and calculating click-through rate and the fact you can run a small ad and take people to a huge website. He learned all that from us. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of the things that we brought to the table uh, ended up becoming really important in the models that made the Internet profitable. So yeah, you know, that's that's basically how I, how I got to how I got into the game, step by that's step. That's interesting. I, I I find it extremely interesting that you were actually doing just about everything right, uh, with with the model you were following before you even knew what direct marketing was. You just kind of figured it out yourself. Did well, you have necessity. like a made? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Necessity. You know, I didn't have any margin for error. If I if I didn't succeed, I wouldn't be able to eat. I wouldn't be able to pay my rent. So I had to think everything through very carefully. You know, which is okay. It's better to have a inexpensive poster than a fancy poster because I can put up you know for the same amount of money I can put up ten times as many posters. That's got to help my bottom line. You know, that's that's a big issue that Claude Hopkins dealt with in in. Uh, Either scientific advertising or my or, or my life in advertising, you know that the the fact that he, he says that the one penny letter outpulls the two penny letter. Uh, well, I discovered that you know just from experience. And then you know you're thinking, okay, I, I've got these posters up. I got they better be legible, like they better stop people in their tracks and be readable and compelling. So I, that gave me that made me think about headlines, uh, and then I realized I better, once they stop, I better have some really strong uh, telegraphic-style uh, uh, bullet points that, you know, lead them to pull the uh, the, the response coupon. Uh, and that response coupon better be a little mini-ad by itself because, I can, you know, you can usually, if you think it through, you can visualize that, you know, they're going to, you know, two days later, they're going to be fishing this thing out of their pocket. And if and if there isn't a good summary of the offer on the on the pull-off coupon, and I can't even know what the heck it is. And then I knew how infrequently the phone rang, so when the phone rang, I, you know, I knew what it cost me in terms of blood, sweat, tears, and money to get the phone to ring, so I certainly didn't screw around when somebody called. I, I got on and, you know, gave them all the time they needed, and then I knew the value of those leads, and I, and I just seemed logical that people aren't going to necessarily buy just because, you know, they talked to me one time, so it's only, I don't know what postage was then. It wasn't too bad. Why not mail to them? So, it's you know, a lot of direct marketing is just common sense. That's true. Um, <laughs> but it's also surprising how few people have any common sense. 
Well, their minds are, are, you know, it's going back to what we said at the beginning, you know, there's so many advice givers and so much of the advice is just utter baloney. Um, and, and, you know, everybody wants to be glamorous and everybody wants to be cooler than cool, um, but that's not what sells products or services. You know, clarity uh, sells products and services. Um, generating as many impressions as you possibly can sells products and services. Having a clear and compelling offer uh, and a good deal, you know, sells products and services. Follow-up sells pro products and services. And none of those things are terribly sexy. Uh, they're not, you know, they, they, they really can't be uh, dra dramatized. So the guy that comes along with some, you know, bunch of puffery and, you know, inflated language and, you know, miracle tools uh, will will get more attention uh, from a, from beginners, and then then they go then they go down the wrong path, and they wonder why nothing works. <laughs> but Sailor V, you know, I I'm glad you brought that up. That you enunciated something that's been incredibly frustrating to me. Um, well, you're the guy that I learned this from. You're, you're the first person to to say, hey, this the internet. Yes, it's it's definitely way cool, but it's a media. So all everything that we do as direct marketers that we apply in other media, we just apply to the internet. And then somehow along the way, that all got twisted around. Like, you know, people, t we, I even say it too. I mean, we, we talk about internet marketing and stuff like that, but it's all direct marketing. I've, I've had guys with significantly sized online businesses call me and say, hey, you know what? I'm thinking about trying my hand at direct marketing. And I've heard it so many times I'm sick of it. Like I want like, dude, what do you think you're doing now? You're just you are direct using direct marketing. Yeah. <laughs> but you were the you were the first guy to give me clarity about that cuz uh I allowed somebody to I had a mail order business in the bodybuilding niche and I allowed this guy to talk me into setting up a website. Um, in 96, I thought it was going to be a waste of time. I just didn't understand the, the – I, I had no idea where it was going. I didn't understand the media. And it, it wasn't – I mean, it was years later. I was chasing after bright, shiny objects, and I was listening to the wrong people and getting pulled in this direction, that direction. It wasn't until I, till I found you that I finally uh, – found clarity on the issue and it was and it was so obvious when you said the internet is just a media everything we do as direct marketers we just apply to the internet and then, then I felt like a dummy <laughs> no it's it's tricky it's 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 tricky it's it's very it's very hard to see um, uh, the potentials and qualities in, in new mediums. It's it takes time. It just takes time. I you know, I just started early. And I went down and I certainly went down a lot of blind alleys myself. But the you know, it just kept coming back to this is just you know, this is a instead of a piece of paper, this is a computer screen. And instead of having them call, they can opt in. 
Um, and instead of sending them mailings, we can have a sequential autoresponder, which I was involved. I was it never, unfortunately, it never came to fruition. But we were developing uh, an AWeber-like uh, sequential autoresponder service in way back in 1997. And even guys who were pretty savvy about the direct marketing aspects of internet marketing were very skeptical about the value of something like that. They couldn't imagine that people would want to be emailed that much. And I said, well, you know what? If they're interested in the subject and the content you send them is good, you can email them forever. And I have a couple of businesses uh, where I email uh, people two or three times a day, uh, and they work just fine. And I have, you know, some other ones where I mail them, you know, once a day. Or I have, two, uh, you have one, one that's two or three times a day and one that's twice a day. And they just the, the list just grows and grows, and yeah, we have we have dropout, of course, uh, but they're they're healthy lists. Uh, so yeah, it's tricky. It's it's just it's tricky, and, and especially when the the noise is so loud. You know, you open the newspaper or magazine, or, or you turn on the TV, and there's somebody being lionized for some wild and crazy thing they're doing, and, and you think that must be it. You know, mm-hmm. these simple things can't be it. It must be that other thing over there. Blocking and tackling, you know, I, I'm not really, a, I'm not, in fact, I'm not a football fan at all, but um, I, I love the phrase blocking and tackling because, you know, that's what wins football games. Uh, and that's, and it's not glamorous. It's not the, you know, the 90-yard pass or the 70-yard, you know, run. Uh, it's the block, it's the blocking and tackling on every play, and there's nothing glamorous about it, and there's nothing fancy about it, and it's what makes all the difference in the world in the game, and, and it's the same thing in marketing. You know, so I, I got this, I have to give credit to this, this comes from Ben Horowitz, who's uh, one of the principals, uh, actually he's the, the Uber partner in Mark Andreessen's venture capital firm. In fact, his firm's called Andreessen Horowitz. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if this is original to Ben, but I, I, I first heard it from him, and it's just brilliant. He goes, "Everybody's looking for the silver bullet, when actually what they need to be doing is is piling up and using lead bullets every day, day in and day out. And that's how businesses are built. There are, yeah, occasionally you could do a master stroke and something amazing happens, but it's usually by accident. Uh, what you really need to be focusing on is just the, the day in and day out uh, execution of what boils down 99.9% of the time to very basic things. I love the analogy of the bullet. <laughs> uh, yeah. the, everybody looking for the silver bullet, but you do much better just using lead bullets day after day. That's great. Yeah, and lots of them. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, and I, here's another one I want to share. Uh, and I got this from uh, two sources. One is uh, Mark, Martin Atkins, who's a punk rock drummer who became a producer who's now an educator of, of, of people in the music industry. And uh, and, then the, and then this also came from another uh, partner at Mark Andreessen Horowitz, which is basically a same, same, different word, same theme. You become successful uh, by doing more than any reasonable person would ever do. You know, and that's just another, that's just an absolutely essential part of the puzzle. You know, no reasonable person would spend an entire year reading in excess of 100 books on direct marketing and mail order. You know, that's just not a reasonable thing to do. You know, reading one book is reasonable or three books. In fact, I got some flack from someone very close to me who kept asking me, what are you going to be done with all this reading? You know, <laughs> um, 
you know, and it wasn't a reasonable thing to organize this big conference, this web uh, multimedia conference, when both of the industries were fledgling at best, uh, and there was really no money in the conference. I, I, I finally made my money back on what it cost me to put on because I taped it, videotaped it, and sold the tapes later. But it was a loser. I mean, it it, uh, it, it cost me money. It wasn't an income-producing event. So it's like it's not reasonable to take, you know, hard-earned, scarce money and organize a conference to try to move an industry forward that's fledgling that you don't really even have a place in yet. That's not reasonable. Um, and yet might have been dollar for dollar the best thing I ever did in my life, you know, in terms of the return I got from that. So that's another, you know, so forget the silver bullet, focus on lots of lead bullets, and if you're really serious about succeeding at something, you, you need to be prepared to just do unreasonable amounts of work and, and unreasonable things. That's sage advice uh, that also, unfortunately, for some people is very unpalatable advice, uh, regardless of the fact that it's true. They would rather hear that there is a silver bullet or that it is easy. And there's plenty of people selling them products, promising them that. Uh, but based on your advice right then and there, uh sounds like we should be wary of anybody promising a silver bullet or that you can be reasonable and be successful and that it is easy. Yeah, the silver bullet business is, is a very healthy, uh, lucrative business for the sellers, uh, not so much so for the, the buyers. And, you know, it's it it's easier, I guess, um, to, you know, write or, or hit your credit card, write a check or hit your credit card for $2,000 or whatever it is people are paying these days for things than it is to actually do some work, uh, you know, that that, that four-letter word. And, and, you know, it's not just the work that's hard. It's working hard and not knowing, uh, which unfortunately is part of the game. Uh, I did a lot of things in the early days, uh, in the early 90s in San Francisco uh, to, uh, with Internet issues. And... Uh, 95% of them produced no fruit whatsoever. You know, they were just, uh, you know, they could be perceived as a waste of time and energy, but you just don't know that uh, uh, until uh, later. Uh, yeah, just, you know, you know another, another great analogy I love is, is the, the frog. Uh, there's two frogs, and they're both dropped into uh, pitchers of milk, uh, real milk, you know, old-fashioned real milk and uh, uh, one of them, the good the good r direct from the cow milk yes yeah right and one of them just despairs and drowns and the other doesn't know what the heck how the heck he's going to get out but he's kicking his feet like crazy and bit by bit he churns the uh, whole milk into uh, butter uh, and is able then to use that as a base to leap out and that's really, I, I think that's the best, the best analogy for how my business ultimately worked. I didn't necessarily know what I was doing. Uh, I just, you know, churned like crazy uh, until I got, you know, some solid ground uh, and, and, and then was able to, 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 to build off that. 
but that's that's kind of the nature of a uh, business, you know. Especially if you're dealing, if, especially when you're dealing with something that's unformed, you know, which the, which the, the marketing side or the internet in itself was unformed. The commercial internet was totally unformed, and the idea of marketing on the internet and selling on the internet was completely unformed. So, if you wanted to be in that, you know, everyone goes, "Oh, wow, you were so lucky, you know, to start so early." Well, you know, there, I wasn't the only guy around back then, and a lot of people just gave up and dropped out. They couldn't, because you know, I they, imagine, they, they, I imagine you encountered a lot of resistance. Tremendous, tremendous, um, from internet people of the day. Who uh, the big issue in '93 was: can the internet be commercialized at all? And if it can be, should it be? That was the big issue in '93, as late as 1993. Wow! And the multimedia people. Some of them were very uh, progressive and open-minded and, and imaginative. It was a really good, great group of people. But not all of them were. And uh, I remember when I was putting that conference on back in 94, a guy that had actually helped considerably start a trade association for multimedia producers. I had a meeting with him. He cut the meeting short in about two minutes and turned me over to his idiot assistant um, and said, you, t- you know, explain it to her. And uh, didn't support the conference at all. You know, <laughs> two years later he was, you know, scrambling around trying to get into the internet industry. But um, he, he saw absolutely no reason why somebody who was who was making multimedia titles should be interested in the World Wide Web. He, he not only didn't see the reason, he thought it, the whole conversation was an utter waste of time, and that I was an idiot for wasting his time even talking about it. And this is a guy who who got my help to start his trade association. You know, I wasn't like a stranger off the street that had no track record. You know, I was a guy that was known as the copywriter for the industry. I was the guy that helped him get his leg up. And even with all that background, he utterly dismissed uh, the potential of what uh, I thought was worth at least testing. You know, is, is there is there a reason for multimedia people and, and internet people to get together and, and, and compare notes. Because at that time, honestly, they didn't talk. The internet people were all about computer networks, and the multimedia people were all about audio and video and interactive uh, screens, which didn't really come along. Uh, it was primitive. It was available in a very primitive format through Mosaic. But the things that we take for granted now, I mean, it was nothing like that in 94. Nothing. You know, it would take a, I don't know if you remember, but it would take, you know, a minute for a page, for a, for a, a photo to, to, to paint itself onto the screen. You'd have to sit there and watch it download, you know, one, <laughs> one line right. at a time. So, yeah, no, the tremendous resistance. And, you know, I, I've compared notes with Mark Andreessen 20 years later, and uh, when he and Jim Clark were going around and, and pitching Netscape, because Netscape started in April of, of 94, uh, and so that summer... Uh, they were, and even fall, uh, they were pitching the idea of everybody, every company, New York Times, CBS, and Time Magazine. You know, you know, you should have a website, and you should use the Netscape uh, server software. And they, you know, he said they were 99% of the meetings they had ended, you know, were negative. Why would we wow. do this? What is this? This seems like a waste of time. Blah blah blah. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. 
Um, I don't necessarily recommend the people to get into the cutting edge, you know, the, the world of cutting edge things. It's it's kind of hard. But, you know, in, to a degree, whatever you're going to do in business, even if you're going into an established industry, uh, you need to be different. You need to, you need to be you need to bring something, you know, relatively significantly different to the party. Otherwise, who needs you? Good. You know, if you, you know, there's, there's way too much me too uh, business development and marketing. You know, hey, this guy's making money selling marbles this way, so you know the way to make money is sell marbles this way, so I'll do it too. Uh, maybe, you know. Uh, if you're selling marbles to a market that doesn't have access to marbles and you're the one that to deliver them, maybe that makes sense. But otherwise, it makes no sense at all. What you really need to be doing is figuring out, you know, here's a market. People are spending money. Um, what's missing from the market? That's something I have in, in the book, uh, the, uh, the System Club Letters. You know, market, market research really isn't that hard. It's like walking along a road. You know, first of all, you want to make sure there is a road. You know, don't, you know, <laughs> it's, it's hard to be a pioneer. You know, and it it could have easily gone wrong for me. I could, you know, the internet could have not taken off, and you know, I would have wasted a lot of time, money, and energy. But but anyway, it's more practical. Is is there a road at all? Or are there is there traffic on the road? Is there are there people on this road? Are there cars going back and forth? Um, and then, the, the, and if that's established, you know, in other words, are there are, are there buyers? Is there a marketplace? Are are buyers actively buying? Uh, and then the next question is, uh, what's wrong with the road? You know, does it go everywhere it should go? Uh, are there holes in the road? Uh, are there bumps in the road? Uh, and that's that's the that's the opportunity uh, for new people to come in. Uh, one is building roads to different locations that haven't been served before. Uh, another opportunity is to uh, find holes in the road. You know why? Why? Uh, you know why isn't? I'm trying to think of an example, but you know, here's a product, here's a service. Why doesn't it come with a guarantee? Um, mm-hmm. Why isn't it delivered monthly to your door? Um, why isn't it financed? Um, you know, why doesn't it come with a, a free uh, service contract for six months. You know, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things missing from marketplaces that a new player can bring to a marketplace. And then there's bumps in the road. Why is it so hard to buy this thing? Why can you only buy it in super large sizes when most people want it in in small sizes? Why doesn't anybody give you an opportunity to test it before you buy it? Those those would be examples of bumps in the road, things that make the transaction more difficult. So. You know, if I were, if, if someone said, "Well, how should I get into a marketplace?" That's one thing I would, I would look at is, you know, make sure there is a road, make sure it's a traveled road, and then see what you can do to uh, improve the road. That's that's a huge tip, and I imagine a lot of people are going to find that very encouraging, because I hear feedback from people who say, "Geez, everybody, there's." The internet has lowered the the barrier to entry so much that it's very hard to find opportunity these days, you know. Or, you know, I wanted to go into this niche, and there's 40 bazillion people on the internet selling in that niche. You just revealed a way to to find those opportunities. 
Yeah, and you have to be thinking in terms of excellence too. I mean, too much internet stuff is uh, people are making sell. You know, people are making money selling, you know, ribbons. You know, to schoolgirls. Um, that's a great business. Let's all go into it and let's all do it the same way that everybody else is doing it. And wow, wow, wow! It's not working for me. Well, what the hell did you expect? You know, <laughs> you know, you're not you're not bringing anything new. You're not bringing anything excellent. It's the same old crap. And you just want money to pour from the sky just because you're doing something. Well, it doesn't work that way. Um, and, you know, I have to say this, too. I've seen so many people over the years uh, develop uh, some way of gaming um, the market, you know, maybe related to technology or it might be related to some new kind of media or advertising that comes along and, and they, they optimize their business to basically take advantage of a very narrow little uh, set of circumstances that anybody who thinks of, you know, devotes any time at all. You know, in other words, they're not thinking about the quality of the product. They're not thinking about the quality of the relationship with the people they're selling to. They're thinking, oh, pay-per-click's really cheap, you know, when it was. Or banners are really cheap, and therefore I can, you know, run this little money machine and, do some little arbitrage and make a lot of money. And all all those arbitrage scenarios always close because people catch on and go, wow, pay-per-click is really cheap. I'm going to buy some. The next thing you know, it's bid up and it's not cheap anymore. And that's just one example, but there's dozens and dozens of examples of, of arbitrage situations that are more technical than really marketing and customer and, and, and market-driven. That people were, you know, sometimes you can mint money for a couple of years, you know, ten, twenty. I know guys making ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars, forty thousand dollars a month on some little narrow technical window, and then when it closes, they're lost. They have no clue how to get back on the bus because they don't know a thing about marketing, and they complain about, well, it's all over and there's no opportunities on the internet. I mean, my God, anybody that thinks that it is just not paying attention. I mean, we've got, you know, not that, people, not that it's easy to start an Airbnb or a, or a Uber or, a, you know, or, or Facebook or something like that. But these are all newish companies. These are not started, started uh, 20 years ago or 15 years ago or even 10. I mean, I think, I think Facebook just had its 10th anniversary. Um, you know, so clearly there, there's all kinds of opportunity, but it requires – Imagination requires a lot of work. It requires getting to a market really well. Uh, and, you know, I, I want to tell this story because I think it's really important. I have some video of Mark Zuckerberg uh, when he first came out to uh, Palo Alto. And basically, the Facebook, which is what it was called then, uh, was entirely focused on colleges and universities, 100%. And uh, in this video interview, not one that I did, but I happen to have to, to tape, um, he's just saying we're just going to focus on this. We're going to focus on making this, serving this market as well as we can possibly serve it. And this is sort of another principle, which is, you know, you know uh, saturate the niche, niches that are closest to you. You know, in other words, yeah, the many people have products that could reach the world and everybody could benefit from and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, in reality, there's one market that you can hit perfectly. And maybe it can grow beyond that original market the way, the way Facebook did. But he didn't really have a plan, but he did everything correctly. He focused on making the absolute best Facebook program for his college. 
Then when that worked, he said, well, let's expand it to some local colleges. And when that worked, he said, let's do it for 100 colleges. And when that worked, he said, let's do it for all the colleges. And every step of the way, making it as, as excellent as he possibly could make it. Uh, and, and therefore having a strong base on which to grow. And this is, this is something else I think marketers really should think about. You know, what is the closest market to you uh, that you can just completely dominate, saturate, and serve excellently? Uh, secure that market and then think about growing, you know, beyond that. I'm just having a counseling session, a consulting session with somebody who has something that's theoretically useful to everybody, but, you know, that's a really bad theory. Uh, what's a better thing is, is the reality of, okay, what market, what segment of the world actually needs what you've got urgently right now? And let's focus on getting there and saturating that market and forget about how big this is and how much potential it has and how many gazillions of dollars it could make. All that's irrelevant. What's, what's uber relevant is... Uh, the, the actual people that you sell to and serve today, <laughs> and that's another. That's a you know that's a big that's a beginner's problem and sometimes an advanced worker's problem. Spending too much time spinning your wheels thinking about the big picture uh, instead of taking care of the little picture. Uh, again, it's the silver bullet versus lead bullets issue. Lead bullets are dull; uh, they're not glamorous. Uh, you know, any any one lead bullet is not very significant. It's the collection, the accumulation of lead bullets that makes the difference. And one silver bullet really doesn't doesn't take you very far. In fact, they don't make bullets out of silver because silver is a soft metal. They make it out of lead because <laughs> lead's heavy. And the lead bullets are a hell of a lot cheaper. You can you can shoot a whole lot more lead bullets uh, than silver bullets. In, in what you were talking about the counseling session you had uh, that the person had, you know, their product was for everybody or anytime I hear that, I think, I sure hope you got deep pockets because uh, when your product's for everybody, it's pretty much for nobody. I don't know how you're going to reach. How do you reach everybody? You can't. You can't. And you know, I always say, uh, I use this a lot, uh, uh, more than 10 years ago now, but my, my saying is you, you can't invade um, uh, you, you can't invade Afghanistan in a pickup truck. You know, <laughs> so if you, 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 you've got to match what you're trying to accomplish to the resources you have. And none of us really have that many resources at the end of the day. And when you're starting out, you really don't have many resources. So rather than have these, these ex, you know, these expansive ideas of, you know, you're going to dominate the world, uh, figure out what cl market that's close by, not necessarily geographically, but psychologically close by, that you can go in and just completely saturate and dominate with the resources you've got. And using the, c continuing the military analogy, okay, now you've got a piece of ground. It's just like war. You know, you, it, war's not a theory. War is very practical. You know, we need a piece of ground. We need to take a piece of ground so we can build a base and use that base to do excursions and grab more pieces of ground. And then when, you know, when we've got those pieces of ground, now we, you know, reach out further and grab more pieces of ground. And it's exactly the same thing in marketing. And so many people neglect that, that basic step, which is get your piece of ground that you can stand on and, and expand from there. 
Instead, they're trying to go off on all fronts, and it's, a lot of it's talk, a lot of it's wasted energy, uh, when they should be just talking to customers and talking to prospects. You know, that's the other thing that just blows my mind. is like people want to go into a marketplace, and I go, okay, how many prospects have you talked to? <laughs> oh, prospects? What? Why? What? what, what? what? I mean, like, are you serious? You're thinking you bring something to market, and you haven't spent hours and hours and hours examining everything in your marketplace, examining all the products, examining all the existing advertising, examining all the existing business models, talking to distributors, talking to other marketers, talking to prospects, talking to customers. You're, 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 you're conceiving a business without doing those things. <laughs> what are you doing? You know, you know, and, and if you do that stuff. It just, it brings, it doesn't cost anything. It's, I call it digital shoe leather. You know, you're either doing it online or you're doing it by telephone or maybe you're doing it face-to-face. But it doesn't cost you anything but your time and energy. And yet, and yet the investment is so um, massive uh, in terms of um, the payback. It's just massive. You know, we're, we're, we're trying, you know, we, we have to adapt ourselves to the market. This is, this is a Gene Schwartzism. Uh, and if you read that great book, Breakthrough Advertising, you know, in the very beginning chapter, it's one of the first, it's one of the only chapters that's easy to understand. The rest of them are, are pretty close to rocket science. But in the very first chapter, he says, as direct marketers, we are, we are closer to being nuclear physicists or um, stock traders than anything else. And this, the, the nuclear physicist has to deal with reality as it is. You know, he's trying to discover reality as it is. He can't invent reality. He's got to figure out what reality is and work around it. The stock trader has to see, you know, is the market going up is the mar- or is the market going down? And I want to be in when it's going up. I better make sure if I'm wrong that I'm out before I lose my shirt, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You, you, we're, we're, we're dealing with things as are, not as we wish they could be or hope they could be or think they should be, but as they are. And the more you talk to people in the market, and it, and it's a balancing act because sometimes the market, like in my case, the market might be very negative. Oh no, that internet! How can anybody make money on the internet? Why would a guy that does multimedia titles be interested in the internet? Uh, and yet there was a counter balance to that, which was just my, my knowledge of history uh, and, and knowing, you know, having been a direct nailer knowing what it would mean if people ever did use the Internet and knowing what it meant economically if I could mail to somebody by email instead of by print or by postage and knowing if instead of mailing a, you know, an elaborate mailing marketing piece, I could put my marketing piece one time on the Internet and an infinite, you know, theoretically infinite number of people could see it an infinite number of times and it wouldn't really cost me more than, than you know, the cost of putting the website up in the first place. So it's a balance. It's, you know, you can't, as a, I'm not a fan, but the guy who, uh, oh, I can't think of his name, but he started Fox News. Um, oh, Rupert. What is it, Rupert no, Murdoch? It, that? That's Rupert Murdoch hired this guy. Um, I, I, I mean, I'll be, I'll be right up front. I, I think both political parties are, are, are horrendous beyond belief. Um, <laughs> and it's, really just, it's really just a matter of which one is worse. Um, and whichever one seems to be, is in power at the time always strikes me as being the worst, but they're both terrible. Roger Ailes. Roger Ailes was the guy that um, Rupert Murdoch hired to develop Fox News. And I, I think Fox News is appalling beyond 
human comprehension, but it is a very successful enterprise. Anyway, Roger Ailes said this, and he's absolutely right. He goes, if I have to hire a, a uh, focus group to tell me what to do with my channel, then I shouldn't be running the channel. <laughs> so he's, so what he's, not, he's not saying I'm going to ignore reality and just go with what I feel like doing. What he's really saying is he has absorbed so much about the reality of things and what works and what doesn't work and, and so on and so forth that he doesn't need to be he won't be he does he won't be swayed and doesn't need the the micro input of of people i don't know if, that, if this is making sense it's, it seems it seems contradictory on the one hand i'm saying no everything you can possibly know on the other hand i'm saying uh at some point you have to ignore every, every what everyone's saying and do what you know based on all the things that you've done in the past and all your research and all your experience. It's a paradox. Uh, life isn't simple. Um, but that's it, it, so it cuts both ways. Number one, you need to do a tremendous amount of research and talk to a tremendous amount of people. But then you also have to have your own vision uh, of things, too, uh, and not just be a slave to whatever you know the surveys tell you or, you know, People in the industry tell you the, the industry. People in the industry may not know what what really could work or what might work. You've got to know based on your thinking and your research and your talking with people and your study and all that. So I don't know if that, I hope that's that's help. I don't know if it's helpful, but it's reality. Oh, <laughs> it makes it makes perfect sense. It's uh, well, it's like you said, it's a balance. And unfortunately, I've gone way off balance on the side of doing really cursory market research, but, man, I'm charging for it because my gut tells me this is right. Well, you know, like you said, we got to face reality. And, and sometimes sometimes people don't want to face reality because reality is painful. And I've charged forward with nothing but a good gut feeling. And, uh, well, you know, could have – could have saved a lot of money if I would have followed your advice of of taking more of a balanced approach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would like to ask you three things. I promise they will be quick because you're traveling and I know you, know you have things to do. One is a total non sequitur. I just gotta I gotta ask this, and I'm sorry to throw us off the topic, but let me make sure I got the story right. Basically, in a nutshell, the way I, I understand it is you are the one who brought Stanley Jordan to the world, the guitarist Stanley Jordan, who uh, to this mm -hmm. day I don't believe that that cat is mortal. That, that He's not human. That, <laughs> well, no human. He, 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 first of all, he, he, he brought himself to the world, number one. Um, I mean, there are people who I have made famous who I will take full credit for their careers because they were pretty much just about average. And by the way I packaged them, they seem spectacular. Uh, that, that especially happened in the Internet marketing world a lot. Uh, in Stanley's case, I, I really can take no credit because he is what he is and he made himself into what he is. However, the credit I will take is that for years um, – when nobody else was backing him or you know doing practical things to help him and put and help him put himself on the radar because there's a difference between having the goods and being on the radar screen 
You know, and that, that was a very educational experience for me because I, I, you know, when I heard him first play when he was 18 and I was 18, I'm like, this is insane. <laughs> this guy is like, he can burn the paint off the walls. I mean, it's crazy. But everyone else is like, yeah, he's a good guitar player. I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. <laughs> this is not a good guitar player. This is somebody from another planet when it comes to guitar. Not obvious. I mean, some of the original gigs that I got him were, you know, coffee houses. And, you know, he'd make 20 bucks and people would be chatting up their girlfriends, their dates, instead of listening to him play. And I was just being head in hand. Wow. These people. Um, but, yeah, I, got, I put him in front of his, some of his biggest audiences before he became famous. I produced a... Uh, a summer concert series, and uh, we put him in front of a thousand people one night, uh, and that was a big deal in those days for him. Uh, I also put on a, a kind of a high-end concert at the school that we went to, and uh, he was uh, him and another. There was two people on the bill, and you know it was a real theater setting, and you know we had hundreds of people in the audience, and they paid real money to hear him. And uh, I wrote the liner notes for his first album. Uh, it was privately produced. It's not one of the ones that you can buy. I think, I think you can find it. It's called Touch Sensitive, and uh, it's buyable. But I'll tell you right now, there are only a 1,000 press, so <laughs> there are not a lot of them floating around. But I wrote the first liner notes. I, I did a lot to help his uh, career. But, you know, ultimately it was Blue Note Records that uh, finally woke up and said, my God, you know, let's sign this guy up. And, you know, they got him onto Johnny Carson, and Johnny Carson loved him. And I think Johnny Carson had him on. Now, you know, if you're young, if you're too young to appreciate this, I'll just say that there's nobody today on TV that he's, it may, maybe Oprah, I don't know. I don't even think Oprah could hold a candle. I don't there's nobody even, on TV no, today. not even Oprah. <laughs> yeah, there's nobody on TV today that had the kind of power uh, that Johnny Carson had because this was pre-cable TV. This is when there were, you know, seven channels and there was one late night show and he was it. So if you if you got on Johnny Carson, I mean you were made, and I and I think he was on Johnny Carson. I mean something like a ridiculous number of times, seventeen times. It was just a lot. And uh, in '87, he had the biggest selling jazz album in the world by a factor of three times. The next his his competitor that year was Miles Davis. Wow. Those jazz, they know they know how ridiculous that is to to beat Miles by a, by three to one. So I did a lot to help him. I, I was certainly prescient, and I'll take full credit for that in recognizing his talent and actually backing that recognition with action and and sticking with it for years. Uh, but I but I didn't I didn't make him famous. You know he was going to be famous. Well, you know, actually, you just don't know. Uh, so much of life is circumstance. Blue Note Records at the time, uh, someone had just acquired Blue Note Records. Blue Note Records has an amazing catalog of um, just jazz classics, as I'm sure you know. And nothing new had been done with the label for years. And if you're going to act, if you're going to make a back catalog valuable, you need new stuff uh, to catch the public eye. And so they went out and they signed a bunch of young musicians, and one of them was Stanley. And so Stanley had the full power of um, a very esteemed record label pushing him. Uh, and he certainly had the goods to deliver, and it was just a marriage made in heaven. So now, had that not happened, you know, you can be very – this is a, a, tra a tragic and true fact of life. You can be very talented and very good. 
and not necessarily be uber successful. Uh, so, you know, again, it, it, a lot of it has to do with understanding the market you're in and finding a way to get in, um, to plug what you've got into that market as it exists. So anyway, yeah, so I, knew, I certainly knew Stanley when he was not known. I certainly recognized him, and I certainly helped him a great deal uh, in those early years, no doubt about that. That's so cool. For, for, for any, anybody who's listening who is not – uh, if you're not aware who Stanley Jordan is, just look him up on YouTube. And, and also consider the fact that when he really hit big, would that, was that like mid-'80s, Ken, 86, 87? It was, 80, it was 80, 80, probably had 86 you know, showing up on the TV, and then 87 his album came out. And uh, I mean, I'll tell you, 85 he was still playing on the street and getting wow. hassled by the cops. And then, uh, yeah, I think 86 was sort of building the audience, and 87, the album came out, and it was just a mega, mega, mega hit. And he still lives off, I mean, I don't, he doesn't sit at home and do nothing and lives off that, but he lives off the the profile. You know, he still does, he still gets great gigs. I think he, he did, where was he playing the other night? I was in the city the same night he was playing, I was doing something else, but I think he was playing at Iridium. You know, it was still a really high-end club, you know, it's a good gig. For a jazz guy, and you know, here, here he is, twenty. I don't see since twenty-seven, but yeah, it's twenty years later. No, no, excuse me, nearly thirty years later. Yeah. Um, and and he's still getting great gigs, and of course, he's developed as an artist and developed alliances with other great artists, and and uh, you know, he's got a good good career. By the way, he wrote. You know, when you turn on the Apple and you get that um sound. Uh huh. Yeah. He wrote that. Oh my gosh! I didn't know that. I hope he got some kind of royalty deal on that. Like every time somebody turns on their computer, he gets a few cents. I'm afraid he didn't get a royalty. I know. My God! If he got, I'd say if he got a fraction of a fraction of a penny, that would have been a zillion dollar deal. No, I'm sure he got paid pretty well, but I think it was just a one time gig. But I, that always cracks me up. You know, it's, it's really interesting because we were roommates uh, in college uh, for a year and. I always just think, and he, by the way, he's the guy that first showed me the internet in 80, no, 79. I didn't, wow. like, we didn't call it, the, we didn't call it the internet then, and I didn't realize, well, it really wasn't much of an internet, it was only about 10 universities were on it, but one of the, the school that we went to was connected to Columbia University, and he was very into computer music, and uh, software at those days was very rare and very expensive. And the only music software program of any worth uh, was owned by Columbia University. And so what he would do is he'd write his code, and he would then uh, send the code via the pipeline, this pipe, to Columbia, where it would be processed. And then the output would be sent back to our school via um, you know, this pipe. And I just thought of it as the network or the, you know, I didn't really know what it was, but it was, it happened to be the internet. So it's just, it's, this is kind of historically interesting that we were, we were using the internet, um, way back then, not really even knowing what it was. It was just a useful thing. <laughs> wow. That's back in the, it, wow. Yeah. And then, he, and then he didn't even know what on. a computer was. Well, there, there, this was all done on mainframes. None of the, there was there were no uh, PCs, or at least we didn't have PCs when we were in college. You know, I started, I graduated in '81, and so that meant we started in '77. And the only guy I knew that was using a word processor 
uh, was actually going to eat the E quad, the engineering quad, um, to use the mainframe to write his papers. And he was like a, you know, a, I mean, an uber nerd of epic proportion. Uh, so yeah, it was a, it was a different time. But I think it's just it's just interesting that to me at least that <laughs> that you know we were roommates and he ended up writing the the orchestra hit that starts every. Macintosh computer, and I ended up being the guy that really figured out that the web could be commercialized. And, how, and not only that it could be commercialized, but how it would be commercialized and how it could be commercialized. And, and you know, a lot of the things that are common now, like banners and like treating email like direct mail and like sequential autoresponders and like pay-per-click and like keyword research and calculating click-through rates and, oh, using audio, you know, you hit a button and the audio starts right away, um, using video. I mean, you know, I was like the first guy to do a lot of that stuff or one of the, you know, one of the very, very first guys to do a lot of that stuff. So it's just, it's just kind of neat, the two guys that were, you know, clueless. Not that we were clueless, but we were young guys didn't know what the heck was going on, ended up, you know, making contributions to this thing years later, independently of each other. It's not like we've been comparing notes over the years. We surely have not. How, what a coincidence and what a cool uh, history story. I, who I, I never in a million years, actually I've never even thought, gee, I wonder who composed the, uh, the Apple theme when you turn it on. Never in a million years would have thought Stanley Jordan. That's, yeah, that's wild. Everything you, this, is, this is a really interesting exercise, and I think this even appears in Think and Grow Rich. Um, but it, whoever first thought it up, you know, it's really worth thinking about. There is nothing that you see anywhere around you. You know, not you know, we're not including trees and birds and flowers and stuff like that. But everything you see started out as some guy or gal with a blank piece of paper and a pencil, writing it down, figuring it out. You know, the tape, the chair that you're sitting on, if you're sitting on a chair, the phone that you're using, the network that we're using right now to talk on. All of these things started out as an idea that were developed and perfected and sold, and the idea had to be sold, and then the company started prototyping it and then building it, and then they started marketing it, and sales channels were built up. I mean, everything you see is the result of somebody's thinking and then hard work to bring into reality. You know, none of this is not a thing in our social world that is not, uh, that did not originate as an idea or as a thought and is not the result of somebody hustling like crazy to make it happen. It's just kind of interesting. That's right. Realize and as that. we speak right now, there could be some 17-year-old kid in his parents' basement with that patent paper or his laptop, you know, who's right now as we speak developing the the, the next breakthrough idea that's going to change history. Who knows? There's still, even though I get people bitching that they don't think there's any opportunity left, there's still plenty of opportunity Oh, you, you just you 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 can't say you can't be paying attention to the world as it is right this minute and say there's no opportunity. It's just you're just not paying attention. <laughs> you know, That's right. 
one of the things, one of the many things that is attributed to you, I would, if you could just help out the poor folks who need some clarity on Internet marketing, you have a, three, a very easy-to-understand three-step formula that is the, the underlying theme of all your materials. Uh, it's, it was the, basically the theme of every system seminar, and it's what finally gave me clarity when I was confused by the technology. Um, you have a three-step formula for uh, successful Internet marketing. Would you mind sharing that for anybody listening to this who maybe has been following bad advice or has been confused by bright, shiny objects? <laughs> well, I've got a bunch of three-step three, three step things, so I'm not sure which one you mean. Do you mean traffic plus conversion? That's the profit? one. If, if you okay. wouldn't mind talking about that, no, please. Not, not at all, not at all. Uh, that came up uh, when I was doing the very first system seminar. I'd already been doing Internet stuff at that point for nearly almost not quite 10 years, we'll say eight years, and I'd seen a lot of stuff come and go, and the confusion rate at that point in time uh, in 2002 was super high um, because on the one hand you had all the dot-com mania where the, 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 the thesis was anything you put on the Internet is going to be wildly successful, which is you know just crazy on its face, and yet people believed it. Uh, and then, of course, all those businesses collapsed and went to zero, or many of them did. And there was just massive, massive confusion. But basically what it boiled down to in those days, this is really what was going on. And, and, and sadly, it's still going on today to a degree, which is if you want to do an Internet business, give somebody else a ton of money, and they will, A, either build you the website you need, or B, give you the secrets of you know success that you need, or the coaching program, or the apprenticeship program, or whatever the heck program, and that's how it's going to be accomplished. Um, but but mostly, believe it or not, back in 2002, the big problem, and, and it's still a big problem today, but but it was a really big problem then was web designers who knew nothing about marketing, who knew nothing about business, uh, most of whom were you know unreliable at best, or many of whom were unreliable at best. And so you'd see people spend five, ten, fifteen, twenty five, thirty thousand dollars. Um I just ran into a friend, I can't believe she did this, spent eighty nine thousand dollars developing a web business with some technology people who anyway, I don't want to go off too far into that. But anyway, that's what that's what the model was. And I said, you know, no, 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 no. Uh the model is you, you've got to get people to come to your page. Forget about spending thousands or tens of thousands of dollars building an elaborate website. Do you have a way to get people to come to your page? Can you even imagine how people would come to your page? Where you would find, First, where would you find the people to come to your page? How can you reach out and literally touch them? And if you don't know the answer to that, do not, I mean, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. I mean, just stop. So that's the first issue. And then the second issue is, okay, once they show up on your page, what are you going to do to get value from their visit? It's not just enough to have a shiny, you know, fancy, fantastic web page. Now, people are, are figuring that out um, gradually. Um, but it's a really huge issue because just like when your phone rings, as a result of running an ad in a newspaper or on a, on a poster, 
Uh, they're not going to call you tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day until you get it right. You know, you've got one chance to make some kind of connection with them. Uh, so what are you going to do? How are you going to convert them? And conversion is getting them to opt in, getting them to, to listen to a, an interview, uh, getting them to make an, uh, an initial purchase or do a trial, you know, all, all the different things that you – all the different action items that you can get – that you can measure – uh, that leads someone one step closer to becoming a customer. So, do you have a conversion strategy? You know, and then something that I, that I didn't include in the mix that I, that you know I include now is: Do you even have a reason to be in the market? Like, do you actually have something that's significantly better, faster, more affordable, a better value, whatever you, you know, any any better that you can imagine? Do you actually have something worthwhile to bring to the market? I'm, I was always assuming. That somebody, you know, you've got something that, that really deserves to be in the marketplace and actually fulfills a, a need in the marketplace. We'll just assume that exists. But assuming that exists, the issues are where are the people who are you going to get to come to your site? How are you going to reach them? How are you going to get them there? And then once they're there, what are you going to do with them to move move things forward? And that those are the big issues. And what I found was people were spending 80 to 90 to 95% of their time on every other issue under the sun. And my advice to people was, you should be spending at least 80% of your time on traffic and conversion issues. And, you know, all the other stuff like sharpening your pencils and emptying the waste paper basket and whatever else people do with their, their time, that's, you know, that's something, that's a whole other operational management, you know, trivial issue. But it should be traffic, 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 conversion, 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 conversion. And... Simple idea, but uh, maybe somebody was talking about it back then. I don't know. Maybe Corey, you know, maybe Corey Rudell was was t- uh, Rudel was telling people that. Um, probably was because certainly his stuff was excellent. But there weren't a lot of people talking about that. They were all talking about I don't know what was the push, you know, push technology. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that doesn't even exist anymore today. Hmm. Interesting. Well, it was it was what finally gave me my clarity about uh, about internet marketing, and I had to slap my forehead and feel like a dummy and think, yeah, this is exactly what I've been doing offline. I should have started, should have realized that, and should have applied online. And it, it was a big breakthrough for me. Even though, yes, it is simple, but isn't that where the biggest breakthroughs come, Ken? Usually from the simplest of things. They really do. They really do. It's like, you know, people need stuff. Uh, people want stuff. They want to be treated right. They want to understand what the heck you're talking about. <laughs> they want to get value from their purchase. Uh, the, the, you know, they, these are, these, this, is, this is what's going on. Uh, and yet those few things that I just mentioned are often not even on the radar screen of people starting and even operating businesses. They're, they're focusing on everything else but those core issues. And if you focus on those core issues, you will get response. And it takes time. You know, it takes time to build critical mass uh, in any industry, in any, any, any business. But you have to kind of calculate that into your, your um, you have to put that in your calculations. That, you know, you can do everything right um, and you just may not. There's a, there's a great example, and I forget. It comes from one of the old-time motivational speakers uh, I'm drawing a total blank on the guy's name, but he was like a super famous one. Um, 
But anyway, he said, you know, it's like when you're pumping water from an old-fashioned water pump. It takes a lot of pumping before the water starts coming. It's not like you turn the faucet and the water just comes. you got to pump and pump and pump, and eventually the water starts coming. Now, once that's happening, once you've gotten it to that critical mass, then one pump of the water, of the, of the pump, brings a lot of water. It's like, wow, look how easy this is. But it, it, what's missing from people's consciousness is those first 10 or 15 or 20 times you're pumping and nothing's coming up. But you have to do that to get the flow to start. You know, when people go, oh, you know, this was, this was a very popular meme in the early, you know, 2000s. Just press send, you know. Oh, you just press send. And that money just flow. Well, you know what? That's, that's literally true after <laughs> you've built up the 10, 15, 20, 50,000 person mailing list, which takes a hell of a long time. Once you've done that, yeah, it's true. You mail, you mail a, a good offer, a good targeted offer to 50,000 people who believe in you, and the money just flows. But nobody's going to hand you that, and you're not going to build that up in a weekend or a week or a month or even a year. It's a lot of shoe leather to get to that point. Worthwhile, but you have to be psychologically prepared that you're going to do a lot of work on the front end with no immediate uh, payoff. Uh, and that's just a hard thing for a lot of people to do because some people, because they're just never going to get it, you know, they're just immature and they're going to be immature until they're 90. But, but for a lot of people, no one's ever, ever, ever educated them. You know, they may not know, they may not have family members who are in business. They may not have uh, friends and neighbors who are in business that they've never been exposed to real business. They're just sort of consumers who've watched a lot of TV and don't really understand how the world works. And they just don't know about the idea of months and years of, of front-ending uh, effort uh, in order to build something that's, that's lucrative. And uh, that's an important lesson for everybody who's serious about business uh, to know about. And if you, you really got to read the bios of people, and I've tried to share some bio, biographical material on this call. Uh, you know, I think of Joe Sugarman. Is, I think a great book to read is his uh, Success Forces book, which is sort of a an autobiography of, of all the crazy businesses he tried <laughs> when he was a young guy. You know, we all know him for Blue Blocker, and you know, he made a gazillion dollars from that. And some people know him from his uh, high-tech catalog business that he had. But previous to that, he had all kinds of crazy business ideas. You know, some of them made a little money. Some of them were absurd and went nowhere. Um, and that's kind of the way that the animal works. That's right. You know, you made an observation that I hadn't I hadn't thought of before. But a lot of people's their frame of reference is the job. You know, maybe they put in a week and then they get paid, or maybe it's two weeks. That's their only frame of reference. Maybe they have never been exposed to the concept of the well, like you were talking about. Um, so, so you know, maybe it's not uh, just slothfulness and laziness. Maybe it's just their frame of reference. They're, you know, we've, as I like to call it, you know, I spent the the, the twelve years in the uh, the government-sponsored youth indoctrination camp. Uh, <laughs> Other people call it public school, but whatever, that's what I call it. And so the only thing I was conditioned for and programmed for was shut up, sit down, follow orders, you know, be a good little soldier, get a job, 
And so that was my whole frame of reference. You go to work for a week, you get paid. This, uh, all the things you're sharing on this call were actually revolutionary concepts for me when I decided to get into business. Yeah, you may be pumping at the well for a while before you get some water coming out. So you better be prepared for that. And you sacrifice. You know, I, I, I tell people, look, you know, if you're starting from scratch, um, forget living the, you know, the standard American middle class dream. You know, you're not going to have the vacations and the, the boat and the, the new car and, you know, the, the keeping up with the Joneses and the watching football with your friends and all that other stuff. Uh, that, you don't get that. <laughs> you know, and if, you, and if, and if you're trying to stay, keep one foot in the, quote, normal life and another foot in the business building life, especially when the business is getting built, yeah, at a certain point, in fact, let me tell you about the three stages of business building. Don't let me forget because that's, that's really important orientation for people. But in the early days, years, you're not going to live that great. <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to sacrifice a lot of stuff um, for the business. And one of the things you're going to sacrifice is, you know, that your friends that have the jobs uh, or the steady jobs or who live as if their jobs are going to last forever and therefore don't invest in anything else other than consumer items, um, you're not going to have all the toys. I'll tell you this. Anytime you see somebody sitting on the, 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 the hood of their, their, their Maserati or their it used to be the Rolls Royce in the old days or, or flashing their cash or talking about their even – even the people that talk about their trips to Disneyland with their families and all that – I, those people should be discounted instantly because business has nothing to do with what you're consuming or going to consume or are consuming. Uh, it has to do with business itself. And selling people on this dream that if they just buy the, the course or, or take the apprenticeship program, they're going to be having these fabulous lifestyles is just absurd. The fabulous lifestyles can come uh, if all goes well. But they are certainly not part of the early years. In fact, it's the opposite. It's not taking the family to Disneyland. By the way, you, your family will survive very well without them going to Disneyland. In fact, they'd be better off. I think you could take the whole Disney empire and flush it, and it would yeah. be uh, an improvement for your family. So uh, it's a, yeah, these, are, these, are, these are the realities. We're, you know, we're having this uh, commemorative seminar conference in September, to commemorate the life of Marty uh, Edelston, you know, the founder of uh, Boardroom, you know, one of the great, you know, he's, he's a member of the Direct Marketing Hall of Fame. I mean, straight up, you can't buy your way into that. You've got to be granted that, and it's not easy to get. And he, before he passed away, he was admitted to the Direct Marketing Hall of Fame, and by God, he earned it. And all he did was work. Now, he, now, he, loved, he loved his work. And he loved his business, and he was really good at it, and that's what he did. I'm not saying everybody's got to be that way. I, for example, I worked hard for as long as I needed to until I had the resources I needed to, to be able to say, okay, now I'm going to do what I want, which sometimes is business, but very often is, are things that are not uh, financially uh, uh, rewarding. Uh, but there are things that I believe in. I think things that I enjoy doing and want to do. So I have a, you know, I have a slightly different view of Marty. I didn't, you know, I, I you know, I, I could not be running the system seminar till I'm 70 uh, or till I'm in the grave 
um, that just didn't interest me. Um, but for him, you know, it, that did interest him. But the point, and but the point is, when I was into it, when I was focusing on the system, that was it. You know, I had, you know, I had a little vacation here and there. We did seminars in England, and you know, we had some, we had some fun. It wasn't all grim, but that was pretty much it. Uh, and for Marty, that you know, running boardroom was pretty much it. He had a, he had a, uh, a mechanical palm tree in his office. And he'd flip a switch, and the and the leaves would kind of rustle, as if as if he were at the <laughs> beach. And that was he, he joked that that was his vacation, um, but he loved what he he loved what he was doing, and uh, that's why it was you know he put his genius into it, and that's why that business was so successful. So let me talk about the three stages of business, just so everybody can orient themselves. Yes, please. first stage of business is what I call wandering in the wilderness. Um, this is before you have a business idea. And a lot of people want to, you know, they, they find that state very frustrating. And I'm here to tell you that there is no avoiding that state. There's no avoiding that state of not knowing. There's no avoiding that state of wandering around the wilderness lost, not without a direction. Uh, now, that doesn't mean you're, you know, doing nothing, it means you're checking out one thing after another. You're reading this, you're reading that, you're talking to this guy, you're talking to that guy, you're going to this conference. Uh, not, not spending a, a, a fortune, but, you know, when, when you think something through very carefully and it's something that appears to really have value, you spend the money necessary, you know, to make the contacts and to get to know people. And you just think and think and think. And I've seen so many people, including me, go through this process uh, a classic example, something we've talked about on this call already, um, Mark Andreessen starting uh, Netscape when he was 23. His partner was Jim Clark, who was one of the co-founders of Silicon Graphics. They met uh, when Mark arrived in Silicon Valley in January of 1994 and got together. Um, Clark had just left Silicon Graphics and was looking for his next big thing. And somebody had recommended that he talk with Mark because Mark already had a million users on Mosaic. Interesting enough, nobody in the industry paid any attention to Mark Andreessen at all when he arrived in Silicon Valley. Microsoft wasn't interested in him. Apple wasn't interested in him. Uh, Oracle wasn't interested in him. Hewlett Packard wasn't interested in him. Nobody was interested in him. Even though, even though in less than a year's time, he had gone from zero to a million users of a piece of software. Where, how, how deep those people had their you-know-what's up there, you know, their heads up there, you-know-what, I don't know. But nobody saw value in him. But Jim Clark, because he, you know, was kind of on the beach and looking for a new thing to do, met with Mark. And interestingly, uh, well, Clark talked to a lot of people. Clark had the money and the connections and the know-how and the drive to build the business. Everyone was too scared. Everyone wanted to keep with their 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 job, their cool little job. And uh, Mark didn't have that great a job, so he had nothing to lose. But anyway, the point of the story is they spent months talking back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, trying to come up with an idea before they finally said, you know what, this, this browser thing actually could be a business. You know, there is a business here. Initially, they rejected that idea. They were looking at developing an interactive television, a platform for interactive TV. And after talking about it uh, for months, they realized, you know what, that's not the opportunity. The opportunity is going back to this browser, commercializing it, and making a business out of that. And that took so that we, we've got a software genius, and we've got a, a you know ex Harvard uh, ex Stanford professor 
we already built the coolest business then in the valley, which was Silicon Graphics, lost, wandering in the wilderness for months before they came up with a direction. So what makes you think you, <laughs> who's not, probably not a software genius, probably not an ex-Stanford professor who built one of the coolest companies in the Silicon Valley, what makes you think you're going to figure it out in a week or a weekend or a month? It's not going to happen. You're going to be lost. You're going to be like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I'll look at this. I'll look at that. So that's the wandering lost in the wilderness. At some point, if you're diligent and you're really researching, you're really thinking, and you're really talking to people, and you're just using your brain on all eight cylinders, you're going to see an opportunity that makes sense for you. And again, you can't invent, you can't invade Afghanistan in a pickup truck. You, you know, some, it's an opportunity that with the resources you've got or can gather, uh, that you can actually win at. may not be your ultimate destination, but it's a piece of ground that you can seize and hold and use as a base to grab other pieces of territory. You're going to see that. You're going to figure it out. The lights are going to go on. And now it's a matter of figuring out, okay, how am I going to... And, you, and you're also going to see how you're going to enter the marketplace with what. With, you know, and that's always the question. It's not about marketing. It's about with what thing am I going to enter what marketplace and how am I going to do it? You know, exactly. It's a very... It's a very specific formula. It's not, oh, I'm going to go into marketing. I'm going to go into internet marketing. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> You're going to bring a particular thing to a particular market in a particular way. <laughs> That's, That's where right. your success is going to come from. It will come from no other source. So you get that, that flash. And, you know, it may not be 100% formed, but you get enough of a feeling that you see what to do. And that's what I call the, uh, you know, you're running around with your hair on fire. And this is when you're working 12, 18 hours a day, six, seven days, eight days a week. If you can find an extra day in the week, you're not eating, you're not bathing, you're not socializing. You are just nose deep to the grindstone and doing more work than is healthy or sane. And you're, you are working to get to critical mass. You're working to get that water flowing from that pump so that maybe you can hire somebody to do some of the, 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 the hireable tasks, you know, or, or to hire an expert or to, uh, you know, hire an expert to advise you or to whatever, you know, whatever you have, whatever you have to do to get to the next stage. And what's critical mass? Critical mass is, is where the business is actually making money. It's paying your rent. It's paying your grocery bills. It is, uh, it's growing. Uh, it's paying the expense of growing the business, and suddenly you've got something that's making money uh, and and has hopefully an open field to make more money and grow bigger, at which point you're now trying to remove yourself from the business, not in the sense of stepping away from the business, but in the sense of you're no longer going to be the guy that answers the phone 12 hours mm -hmm. a day. Uh, you're no longer going to be the guy who goes to the post office and delivers the big, you know, bin of mail. Uh, you're no longer going to be the person that sits up all night, you know, with, with the spreadsheet and, and Quicken and calculating all the profit loss stuff. You know, you're, you're finding people to do the things that others can do. And what others can never do is have vision and drive and resilience and imagination. That you cannot hire out. That's what you've got to bring to the party. But you'll soon find that there's a lot of pieces of your business that you not only 
don't have to do, you should not do. Uh, somebody else should be doing it. And so those are the three stages, lost in the wilderness uh, until you find that point of entry and then working like a crazy man, with, like, like that frog in the milk, uh, you know, churning like crazy, not exactly knowing what you're doing, but doing a lot of it over a long period of time, uh, and then getting some solidity to the point where, okay, now you can bring in people. Uh, you know, when we ran the system, we, I'm not, <laughs> not really the best business guy that ever lived, uh, to say it, put it mildly. Um, but when we ran that business, I was probably doing the work, based on what I see other companies doing that did similar numbers to us, I was probably doing the work of five people, and uh, Bettina was probably doing the work of five people. So we saw a lot of companies that were doing numbers similar to us that had 10 employees, you know. Now, if I had been really smart, I would have figured out how to bring in more people to take over some of the tasks. But, hey, you know, it didn't didn't necessarily work. Uh, We never got to that stage of evolution, but we did get to the point where the business was incredibly lucrative. Um, and it took just a lot of scrambling and a lot of, like, more work than was reasonable. That's sort of the, the bottom line there. But those are your three stages of, of if you get to the full <laughs> maturity of a business, which, I, and, you know, you can, here's a nice thing, too. You don't have to do everything right to do very well. Uh, but one thing you do have to do is bring a good product to a real market and be able to get that market to see what you're doing and come to you uh, and, you know, give you money for it. You know, Ken, I've had a lot of discussions with a lot of marketers. Um, I've done a lot of interviews, uh, but what you, well, you've been revealing a lot of gold nuggets today. But what you just went through, the three phases of a business, I, if I could be, you know, crowned king for a day, I would make that required study. Uh, before anybody could graduate from high school uh, because you have just enunciated something that is not a popular thing to enunciate because it doesn't sell, uh, you know, four-figure, five-figure, bright, shiny objects. Um, But it's the truth of what it really takes to to be successful in business. So, man, I appreciate you. You know, not too many people have the balls to share that. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I, you know, my my job was, and to the extent that I still do it, is to bring people as clear and useful advice as I can. So I've given a lot of thought to these issues, and you know, I, I some, you know, and, and working with students, and I think, oh, gee, why is this person so frustrated? Why are they giving up or, or thinking of giving up? And you know, and you realize, well, they don't realize what phase of business they're in. Like, they are they are lost in the wilderness. It's okay. It's one of the phases you go through. Or, yeah, they are working 18 hours a day. It's okay. Uh, that's, guess what? That's what it takes in the early days. Um, you know, everybody likes to say, oh, you know, you don't have to build your own website. You don't have to know how to do anything. You don't even have, you just have to know how to turn your computer on. Everything can be hired out and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, good theory. <laughs> Good theory. The more you know how to do for yourself in the beginning, the better. Not everybody's so lucky uh, to have, you know, reliable vendors that that come sort of – I mean, there's a whole generation of Internet marketers who benefit from the fact – from having access to uh, reliable vendors from the early days, and it's not necessarily something that everybody's going to have, if you follow me. So 
the more you know how to do it, the more you can do for yourself, uh, the better, especially these days. You know, the more tech stuff that you can do. I'm not terribly technical myself. I was I was kind of blessed in that patina was really facile with all that stuff. Uh, you know, it's, you know that's a sort of that's sort of another thing is my God, if you're going to go in the internet business, you either be a bit technical, you 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 either better be technical, or you better know somebody who you can rely on who's technical. There's no way you're going to be in this business without quite a bit of technical expertise. That's for sure. Yeah. If people want to, uh, like, I'm looking, I'm looking at two two of your sites now. But what, if somebody wants to find out more about you or wants to get involved, are you are you doing any um, teaching anymore or coaching or anything like that? The best thing that I recommend people do is is get um, the System Club letters, which you can easily uh, get from KenMcCarthy.com, KenMccarthy.com, and that and or uh, join the System Club. And the System Club is basically, it started out as graduates of the System Seminar, but since I don't do the System Seminar anymore, there's no way for people to join the club through the old way. So now we've pretty much opened the door to anybody who's serious. And uh, you know, we have a trial period where you can you know, check, check it out and see if it's something for you. Um, and then just stick with it. And we've got three programs every month. We have something called Tech Talk, which is a tool review program, uh, audio program. Yeah, I can't believe nobody's doing this uh, but us. But as is often the case, we're the only people doing it. Usually, when people hear about a tool on the internet, it's some hyped-up thing, and you know, it's two thousand a month, or you know, it comes bundled with a coaching program or some other crap. And usually, it's a tool that's not worth a damn uh, and is overpriced. When in reality, the internet is chock full of amazing tools, marketing and otherwise, some of which are free, many of which are very low cost. And so, every month we review, you know, what's good, what's not good. Um, what, what you know? What what's worth checking out? So that's Tech Talk. I, there's no other place I know where you can get that. Um, the other thing we do is our masterclass series, where I talk with somebody who's accomplished in business. It may not be internet marketing, maybe any one of a number of businesses, but they're smart and they have a lot of useful things to share. And then the third uh, thing that we do every month is Second Saturday, which is usually held Second Saturday, not often, well, not always, but usually. And that's where I will take somebody's business, or uh, or I'll review cons- consulting I've done with other businesses, and say, okay, here's how you apply. You know, we've been talking about all these ideas and all these tools and all these things. Here's how we would apply these ideas to this particular business right now. And that's possibly one of my strongest knacks is if somebody's got something valuable and worthwhile, I'm really good at helping them position it and get it and insert it into a real living marketplace. Uh, I, I, you know, without false modesty, I'd put myself up there with anybody on the planet uh, when it comes to that skill. Uh, and, I, and I can do it without saying, hey, you need to give me $20,000 to be my apprentice. And I can also do it without somebody having to spend a fortune to do it. It usually boils down to digital shoe leather. Um, and I just see these things. I just see exactly what somebody needs to do to, to package themselves and what somebody needs to do to build their network so that 
so that their business will get traction as quickly as possible with as little money uh, up front as possible. And that that could be the most valuable part of, of, the, of being a System Club member. So yeah, System Club book, System Club letters, which you talked about earlier, uh, and or the System Club itself. And you know, this week, you know, we've got people should read the letter to the System Club. I think it's SystemClub.com uh, or the SystemClub.com. And yeah, I'm looking at it out. now. It's uh, the with the word the t h e the SystemClub.com. Of course, they can get to it. They can get to all that from KenMcCarthy.com. K e n m c c a r t h y.com. And I still like to work with people. I just, you know, the, the the annual seminar was a, you know, it was a big production, and I don't need to do it anymore, and I don't want to do it anymore. But I still, I still, you know, every even on this trip, I'm so theoretically on vacation, and twice now I've sat down and given somebody. Uh, some random lucky person who I've encountered somewhere or another, uh, they say, hey, I've got this business idea. What would you do? And, you know, I just opened the floodgates, and they're like, oh, my God, I never thought of this, never thought of that. I said, I know, that's what I do. <laughs> um, so I still like doing that a lot. I just don't like uh, putting the big event on because we've done it. It's done. You know, everything that you need to know about Internet marketing is already out there, you know. Like enough is enough already. Let's let's talk let's talk about specific businesses, you know, instead of generalities, uh, because pretty much we already know, we know what works on the internet. Uh, we don't need to keep rehashing that anymore. Exactly. Your your second Saturday thing. I is when you mentioned that I thought, man, I hope your people understand the value of it. I had another a musical analogy spring to mind. I thought. Can you imagine getting a jazz trumpet lesson from Miles Davis? You know, that's what your second Saturday to me sounds like. I, uh, what, a, what a enormous value. I, I have to agree with you. <laughs> well, I, it's I, good. I, I, again, everybody should. I'm, I'm looking at. Uh, I'm looking at your site. There's another site, Ken, Ken's Catalog. I've got everything on there. I've got System Secrets. I've got System Smart Beginners. Like I said, i got the System Club letters. I've got your Advanced Copywriting and Info Marketing course, which I, I, we don't even want to get started on. I could talk about that for probably the next eight hours. There's stuff on there. Ken, you know this. I apprenticed directly with Gary Halbert. I mean, the the dude lived with me in Costa Rica, and we hung together way too much time for almost two years. There's stuff in your copywriting course that Gary didn't even share with me. There, there, there were some major breakthroughs I got from that course. And when I, it's not an exaggeration to say I've bought every copywriting book that I can find since I got into this stuff. I've bought every course I can find. I've gone to every seminar I've, I, I could find. But your copywriting course, wow, some major epiphanies. Yeah, well, I, I love the science of copywriting, and I'm quite a student of it. And uh, Gary, of course, was you know one of the great, 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 great geniuses. I, I think pound for pound, uh, Nobody ever explained copywriting better than Gary Halbert. Uh, he was just a genius at teaching it. 
and uh, yeah, um, yeah. So you had you had a good mentor to say the least. A challenging mentor, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure he. I'm sure he challenged. I always say to people, Terry Halbert's a force of nature. He's like the wind. He can rip trees up by their roots, or he can make the the windmill turn and and and, and grind grain. I mean, it's it's, it's it's he's a force of nature. As long as you understand that about Gary, everything will be fine. Um, yeah. You know, he's not uh, you know your average guy, but he what it, what a genius as a copywriter. And by the way, let me say this about about go and read Gary Halbert's copy. It's not slick. It's not full of bombastic claims. It's as smooth and natural as silk. You know, it's 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 an it's amazing, amazing writing, and uh, you you could hardly do better than really study Gary's stuff. That's right. Ken, you've been really generous with your time today. I I really appreciate you sharing everything that you shared. I've learned a lot. Uh, I almost I, I I could have sworn I almost heard this huge collective sigh from hundreds of thousands of people when you were talking about the three phases of business. When you were talking about the loss in the woods phase, <laughs> mm-hmm. I swear I heard this collective sigh of people <laughs> saying. Thank God! Ah, oh, it's good to know. I, you know, I thought I was just, uh, you know, this was unusual, and I was going through uh, something that you know nobody else has gone through. But that was great information. Great. Well, glad, glad to help. I, I, I love this stuff, and I love people that are working hard to, you know, bring something of value to people, which is really what business is about. You know, if you're looking for a, a success formula. Uh, people need stuff, people want stuff, and they love doing business with good companies and getting good products and being treated right. And, uh, you know, anybody that wants to do that is is somebody that I uh, admire. And, and I'm happy to help in any way I can. Well, thanks, thanks, Ken. That's a great way to wrap up this call. Again, really appreciate your time. You, you did this even while you were traveling and on vacation. So, uh, you know, I'm sending out uh, much gratitude, so I really appreciate it. Great. Well, thanks for giving me a chance to, to yak. Oh, <laughs> my favorite pleasure subject. was all mine. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, hopefully we'll talk soon. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Okay.